For as long as I can remember, I've always loved the Bible. I think my earliest ideas about it came from music. You know, as a kid growing up in church, we would sing songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Or the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You know, one of my earliest childhood memories is being in my grandma's kitchen and getting my grandpa's pocket Bible out of the drawer. I'd place it in the middle of the floor and stand on it uh, like the world's tiniest soapbox and sing, standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. You know, to my childhood mind, the Bible was the foundation on which we stand, literally. You know, and as a teen, uh, any attempts to take my faith more seriously meant a renewed commitment to Bible reading. When I was about 17, I decided to commit my life to God, and so I took my Bible, found a secluded place, placed it down on the ground, and knelt down and prayed. Shortly after, I went off to Bible school, and this wasn't a place where you learn about systematic theology or church history or ministry philosophies. My classes were things like Genesis, Exodus, the Psalms, Ephesians. And when I came home, I started leading worship, and I would write worship songs uh, inspired by the Bible. Being biblical was very important to me. I even remember a time when I uh, had a conversation with our newly hired pastor, Jeff Lockyer, and he wanted me to read a church leadership book. And I replied, you know, I've got 66 books I'm working on at the moment, and I'll let you know when I'm done with them. And what an idiot I was. But my point is, I've always loved the B-I-B-L-E. But over the last few years, I've been wondering, you know, have I maybe loved it too much? Have I given the Bible a place of prominence in my life that is greater than it even seeks to have? Have I been more devoted to it than Jesus was? Last week, we kicked off this series, and Jeff Martin's challenged us to think about a life of faith, not like a boundaried set uh, that divides us into in and out, but as a centered set that invites us to pursue and follow Jesus. The question for us today is, if a life of faith is about following Jesus, what role does the Bible play in all of that? Now, before we get into that, I know that for some of us, maybe especially those newer to faith, you may have an even more preliminary question than that. You might even be not entirely sure what the Bible is exactly. So I want to start by asking, what is this book? Well, for starters, it's not a book. Uh, It's actually a collection of letters and poems and prophecies and stories. Uh, It's a library that contains 66 books grouped into two sections. Uh, The first 39 books are what we call the Old Testament, but they're actually the Hebrew Bible. They tell the story of the origins of Israel and their epic struggle, uh, the building of Jerusalem and its temple, and the rise and fall of countless prophets, priests, kings, and heroes, all the way up until about 400 years before Jesus. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is the last 27 books. And it starts with four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, We sometimes call these Gospels, and they were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and John, they were two of Jesus' original 12 disciples, and uh, they wrote their firsthand experiences. Uh, And Mark, he wrote on behalf of Peter, who was another disciple. Luke, whose gospel we've invited you to read through with us this month, he actually never met Jesus, but he set out to carefully construct as accurate as possible an account of the life and teaching of Jesus uh, based on interviews and investigations into eyewitness accounts. After the four gospels, you have the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. 
followed by 21 letters written by the 12 disciples or some of the early church leaders like the Apostle Paul uh, or James, who was the actual half-brother of Jesus. And finally, we have the poetic, apocalyptic masterpiece, the book of Revelation. So that's what's in here. Uh, historically, uh, the Bible wasn't actually finalized until about 300 years after Jesus. So the earliest Christians, they didn't have Bibles. Um, at that point, you know, the, there were a few copies that were hand transcribed and carefully guarded by the church. The average person would have never seen one until several centuries later. In about the 1400s, uh, with the printing press, the Bible became one of the first books to be mass-produced. Um, but by mass-produced, uh, the press could pr produce about 200 of them uh, every three years. So it still was slow going. And those copies were in Latin, which almost nobody could read. Uh, in any given town or region, there might be just a small handful of highly educated people who would have been able to read it. So, you know, having a copy of the Bible that you could read in your own language was still centuries away. As of 2022, the Bible has been translated into over 700 languages in its entirety. Uh, the New Testament has been translated into about 1,500 more, and uh, bits and pieces and fragments have been translated into about 1,000 more uh, languages and dialects. So that's what the Bible is structurally and historically. But is it more than just a historical literary artifact? I mean, what is the Bible, spiritually speaking? Well, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of ways that different people answer this question. Some believe that it is the error-free, literal, capital W, Word of God, while others believe it's just a work of fiction or even fraud. And disclaimer, we're not going to be able to unpack all of these ideas in the minutes remaining. Uh, but if you still are unsettled about the nature or the reliability of the Bible, I want you to know that you're among friends. This is a safe place to explore those questions. And we're going to put some resources on our online service page to help you do just that. But for today, I want to ask the question, what is the Bible, from the perspective that the Bible is what it claims to be. We're going to look at the Bible as being what it claims to be. So what does the Bible claim to be? What does the Bible say about what the Bible is? Well, in a letter uh, written by Peter, one of the disciples, he describes what the Bible is like this. Most important, you must know that no prophecy of Scripture represents the prophet's own understanding of things, because no prophecy ever came by human will. Instead, men and women, led by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Peter says the first thing you got to understand about the Bible is that it's more than just a collection of man-made opinions and outdated religious ideas. It is a divine communique that comes to us from the very heart and mind of God. The women and men who wrote the things contained within its pages, they were led or inspired by the Spirit of God. This tracks exactly with what the Apostle Paul says in a letter he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That word inspired comes from the Latin spire, uh, which means spirit or breath, which is why some versions translate it, all scripture is God-breathed. This is what scholars and theologians refer to as the doctrine of inspiration. 
And it deals with questions like, uh, you know, if God inspired the Bible, does that mean that everything in it is absolutely historically accurate and scientifically verifiable with no mistakes or contradictions whatsoever? You know, did God dictate it word for word, or is it more like a movie that's inspired by true events? You know, is every single word in here equally inspired and therefore demanding to be weighted with equal importance? And these are big questions that uh, are probably better left to uh, scholars and theologians with more intellect and education than I have. Um, but for today's purposes, here's what I want us to start with. When it comes to approaching the Bible, I want us to recognize that reading the Bible biblically means recognizing its divine origin. We need to recognize its divine origin. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Uh, don't misunderstand me. The Bible itself is not divine, and it never claims to be. Okay, to treat this book as, it, as if it's divine is actually idolatry. Um, so the Bible is not synonymous with God, but its message comes to us from God, initiated by God. And as such, we need to approach it with a humble and submissive posture, placing our lives under the authority of God. And we don't just skim its pages to confirm our own ideas. We study them in order to conform our ideas to God's ideals. And we don't treat it like a fortune cookie or a magic eight ball, you know, like, is now the right time to get involved in real estate or Bitcoin? No, it is decidedly so. I don't know. Instead, we come to the Bible with a not my will, but yours be done disposition you know, ready to respond obediently to the thing, things God says, you know, expecting to be changed as we submit ourselves to the leadership of God, to be trained, rebuked, corrected, and taught. Anything short of this, and we've missed the whole point before we've even read a single word. So if the Bible is trying to get us to submit to God's leadership, I guess where exactly is the Bible leading us to? I mean, are its rules and rituals intended to function like sort of a moral compass that guides and forms our opinions and views and ideas? Um, is it a, a cleverly and carefully laid out step-by-step -step set of instructions that if followed to the letter can guarantee us a good life now and uh, a golden ticket in the afterlife? Well, if your idea about what the Bible is comes from what many so-called Bible-believing Christians say about it, you may actually be surprised to learn that the answer is a resounding no. That's not what the Bible claims to be. In fact, the greatest opponent to this kind of thinking about scripture is the Bible, or more specifically, the Apostle Paul, who wrote one of its letters specifically to discredit and dispose of this kind of thinking. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, So what is the point then of the law? The law here is shorthand for the scriptures. He says its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are in ourselves out of right relationship with God and therefore to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by our own efforts, what we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promise. For if any kind of rule keeping had the power to create life in us, we would certainly have gotten it by this time. And Paul says, if the Bible could make us good, we'd have figured it out by now, but it doesn't. You know, Paul, who had been a former member of a religious sect called the Pharisees, who believed that strict adherence to scripture is the key to securing God's favor. After encountering Jesus 
recognize that despite all of his sincerity and all of his training and all of his passion, he had completely missed the point of scripture, which he says is, he says, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. This is the Bible's distinct objective to lead us to Christ. See, the Bible and Bible reading is not a goal as if it were a worthy thing to fill our heads with a bunch of Bible knowledge. Bible reading is not a goal, but a guide whose only aim is to point to and stimulate and nurture an ongoing, living and active, vibrant, experiential relationship with Jesus. Now, the same Jesus who, according to his best friend John, completely agreed with Paul's assessment of scripture. You know, he was confronted by some experts in the scriptures and he says to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, Jesus is saying that uh, the Bible is kind of like a, a treasure map meant to lead us to him. But he warns that if we aren't careful, if we make the Bible itself the foundation of our faith, that we risk misreading the map and missing out on the treasure altogether. You see, nobody would ever, you know, read a treasure map just to know the map or to love the map or to defend the authenticity or accuracy or authority of the map. We read a treasure map to find the treasure, which in this case is Jesus. Now, Jesus lays out this incredible framework for a life of faith, one that's not rooted in rules, but in a relationship, not contained in the pages of a book, but connected to the person of Jesus. And the people who knew him best got this. His best friend, John, when he set out to write his account of the life of Jesus, he started it this way. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, this is a not so subtle uh, throwback to the very first verse of the Bible that says, in the beginning, God said, and the beginning was the word. He's saying, you know, since ancient times, God's word has been passed on orally. And eventually it was written down by some priests and some prophets. Um, but in, in the coming of Jesus, the word has actually become a living, breathing human being. He says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I mean, think about it. For, for centuries, people had to rely on this secondhand hearing about God, like this game of telephone. God was a bunch of words and ideas to people. But now in Jesus, the word of God had become a living, breathing, thinking, feeling, three-dimensional, living color, high-definition, flesh and blood, human being. It's incredible. But what's almost as incredible is that in the centuries since, it feels sometimes like we've taken that person and tried to reduce them back to black and white and shove them back into the pages of a leather-bound book leaving a kid like me standing on a pile of ink and paper thinking I was standing on life's true foundation. What a tragedy. And all because we mistook the, tr the map for the treasure. I mean, think about uh, an example like the book of Hebrews chapter four. Um, this was a classic verse when I was a kid that was meant to, or used to enforce the importance of Bible reading. But listen to what it says. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
The word of God is pretty incredible. It goes on, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Guys, don't miss this. The word of God is not the Bible. According to the Bible, the word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. Or as one clever writer has said, you know, the word of God is inspired and errant and infallible. And when he turned 18, he grew a beard. You know, why am I saying all of this? Am I suggesting that we should get rid of our Bibles altogether? Uh, you know, why do we do a practice like soap on a morning? Uh, or why are we inviting you to read through the Gospel of Luke with us this month? Why have we spent the last two years teaching through the book of Exodus? The answer is because as Peter and Paul and John say, the Bible is a reliable, God-breathed tutor that leads us to Jesus. That's the Bible's distinct objective, to lead us to Jesus. And so if that's its objective, let's go to Jesus. You know, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out what a life of faith looks like. And he doesn't fail to uh, discuss the role that scripture plays in that. Early in the sermon, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know, Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to get rid of your Bibles. Uh, but when he says, I've come to fulfill them, he's not saying that he's come you know, to uphold or to obey them. He often doesn't. Uh, it's more like uh, what, a, what a graduation or a high school diploma is. To the, it's the fulfillment of four years, hopefully, of schoolwork. Jesus is saying that his coming is the graduation or diploma or conclusion of the old covenant and its old laws contained in the Old Testament. Old here is not a reference to their age. It's more like the word former or previous, like your old house or your old phone or your old school. And Jesus is saying that the old covenant found in the Old Testament is like our old school that we don't go to anymore. We've graduated. It makes sense of why he goes on in his sermon to say things like, you know, you've heard it said, and then he quotes a bunch of things from the Old Testament, like you shall not murder or an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. He says, but I say to you, and then he goes on to say something corrective or even contradictory to what was written in the Old Testament. See, Jesus isn't just updating the old system or you know, modernizing it for a new generation. He's offering us a brand new one, a better one. He's saying that the old covenant in the Old Testament is what the writer of Hebrews calls obsolete. And while it might be nice to go back to your old school and look around and see some old friends and maybe even remember what got you to where you are now, you don't re-enroll in its classes. The Old Testament has fulfilled its distinct objective of leading us to Jesus. And we now live in a new era. We are participants in a new covenant with God, one not governed by archaic laws written on stone tablets, one written, one with a new law that is written on our hearts by the Spirit. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when he says a new command I give you, he's not saying another or an additional command. This isn't the 11th commandment. He's saying, I'm giving you a whole new law, the law of love. And it only has one rule, love each other just like I've loved you. Guys, this is our final point. 
once we've come to scripture recognizing its divine origin and we've submitted ourselves to the authority and leadership of God and we've allowed it to have its uh, divine or its distinct objective of pointing us to Jesus, the Bible inspires a daily orientation of love. God submitted, Jesus-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered love. And if our Bible reading leads us anywhere else, we're reading it wrong. If reading the Bible makes me a smug, arrogant know-it-all instead of humble and submissive, if it causes me to focus on what is and isn't sin instead of focusing on Jesus, if it causes me to look down on certain groups of people or become in any way unkind, I'm reading it wrong. Anything other than using Bible reading to be inspired to follow Jesus into a life of others-oriented, self-sacrificing love, and I'm guilty of misreading the map, and I'm missing out on its treasure. This brings us back to kind of where we started. I want to go back and look at one of the first verses I read to you. It's probably the most definitive verse in the Bible about what the Bible is. Uh, it's the one that Paul wrote to Timothy that says, Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. The Bible is inspired and useful to train us to do everything that is good, to love one another just like Jesus has loved us. But it's only useful if we use it. It can only have this kind of impact on us if we actually engage with it. That's why we're trying to get you to read through the Gospel of Luke together with us this month. And if you missed last week or you kind of started and fizzled out or you just kind of forgot about it, don't worry. Just pick it up and start over or jump in where we are today. Uh, just get reading. Read it. Read it slowly. Read it in bite-sized chunks. Uh, you know, if you don't read or, you know, you can't read, have someone read it to you or access one of the many free online audio Bible resources that are available, but read it, engage with it, read it prayerfully, read it together with other people, read it submitted to the voice of God, read it conversationally, knowing that Jesus, the, the very person who inspires its words, is right there with you, in you as you read, and read it to be shaped by and for a life of love. If you do this, you'll soon discover that its stories, poems, and characters uh, represent a rich tapestry spanning the full spectrum of the human experience and inviting us into the adventure of a lifetime. But not one contained within its pages. One that leaps off of them into the pages of your life and mine. You know, as parents, uh, one of our earliest strategies for instilling some values into our kids was to give them some easy-to-remember sayings. And one of our favorites is, we like things and we love people. We love people, we only like things. And so, you know, we love our friends like Vera and Nolan, but we only like ice cream and hamburgers. You know, we love our uncles and aunts, but we only like Star Wars and Pokemon. And we're pretty committed to this idea. We think it's important. I don't know about you, maybe like me, you were raised to love the Bible. Maybe you only like Jesus. 
But today I want to invite you to reconsider. I want to invite you to like the Bible. I want you to like it a lot. I want you to really engage with it. It's beautiful and wonderful. There's so much good in here. I want you to like the Bible. But I want you to love Jesus and love the people Jesus loves. Let's be people who like the Bible and love Jesus. And if we do that, we will be able to stand together, not on the written word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, but on the living word of God, J-E-S-U-S. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the gift that they are and the tutor that they are that lead us to you. Thank you for your ongoing commitment, God, to shape us into people who embrace the love you have shown to us and then let that love spill over into all of our relationships with all the people you so dearly love. God, I pray that you would right-size our relationship with the Bible. Help us to know uh, its role in our lives, to like it a lot, but let us be people who stand alone on who you are, on, on your love for us, God, and to be people who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we pray. Amen.